pastor is the crew isn't here. Pastor, <laughs> um, Minister Scarlett, and and um, Sister Hadia and her family, they are enjoying themselves. So, Pastor wouldn't like anything better than to make sure that everything goes according to plan. So, tonight we are here, and with the help of the Lord, we will move forward as planned. Amen. The lesson tonight is uh, one of our discipleship lessons entitled, The Power to Be Witnesses. The Power to Be Witnesses. And um, the lesson big idea is, because God gives us spiritual direction as his witness, we must allow the Spirit to lead us to those who are hungry for God. We must allow the Spirit to lead us to those who are hungry for God. The scripture focus tonight will be Acts 13, 1 to 3. And I'll just read it before we start. It says, Now there were in the church that was in, at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, then sent them away. So here the Holy Ghost spoke to um, the disciples, the apostles, while they were praying. And told them that uh, Saul and Barnabas, they should separate them so they can go on and do what he called them to do. Um, Let me give you a little background first. Jesus was crucified and spent three days in the heart of the earth. Matthew 12, 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the, in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, if you, you know, that um, death and Friday night and then, what, Saturday morning or Sunday is the resurrection, that's, you know, that's kind of not fitting with what the scripture says. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. After Jesus uh, was uh, resurrected, he presented himself for, um, 40 days to his followers, the disciples, the apostles. You know, at that point, no, there was a large gathering. So um, he presented himself at different points 40 days, for 40 days. During that um, period of time, he presented himself to them. Acts. One three it says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So infallible here is flawless, perfect, accurate. So nothing can be challenged here. They saw him. He he presented himself to them. 
He spoke of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That was his purpose. He came down for that purpose. To um, speak about the things pertaining to God and to, to turn our hearts to God. The kingdom of God is the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. His leadership, his reign over his people. So once while he was eating with his disciples, um, he told them, and, and let me just tell you where that is. Luke 24, 42 to 43 and 45 to 49. Luke 24, 42 to 43 and 45 to 49. Luke 24, 42 to 43. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. So he opened their understanding so they could understand the scripture. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endowed with the power from on high. So he was telling them, stay here in Jerusalem. I have a promise for you. Go into the upper room and stay there. Pray, fast, and wait. And you will receive the promise. At the end of 40 days, Jesus took his disciples to Mount Olivet and commanded them. Um, you know, this is where a lot of people, you know, hear the scripture and have it a little bit twisted. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's Matthew 28, 19. We know the name is Jesus. We have, we have heard that um, the pastor, even Sunday, went over that with us. You know, Matthew 28, 19. We know that the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Ghost, there is power in the name of Jesus, not in the name of the Father, or not in the name of the Son. There is, the power is in the name of Jesus. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ. So you can't pray in the name of Jesus, but you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? After that, he ascended into heaven while his disciples gazed at him going up. The disciples, after he went up, they obeyed. They went back to Jerusalem in the upper room where they prayed and were in one accord. Things happen when you're in prayer and you're in one accord. The Bible says, suddenly there came a rush, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the place. So the Holy Ghost came upon them. And uh, the disciples received the Holy Ghost. And it started a fire. If you are praying. And you are fasting. And you are expecting this promise that God promised you. And all of a sudden you feel this um, rushing mighty wind. It was the Holy Ghost. It gave them power. So all of them. Just imagine what was happening inside that room. They were all in one accord, but when, when the uh, Holy Ghost came upon them in there, um, they were just going crazy, <laughs> put it that way. And 120 souls had received power to become witnesses of Christ. So 
it was 120 of them inside there. Before that, there was a whole lot more. But what we're going to find in church is a lot of people come to church service. But when it comes to prayer, you find a little less people. Amen? When it comes to praying and, you know, you know just um, consecrating yourself, you find the congregation gets a little smaller. So that was what was happening here. 120 people were left and they received the, um, the Holy Ghost. And Peter became the first preacher in the New Testament. Because while they received the Holy Ghost, of course people were passing and they were wondering what was happening to them. Because they never saw that yet. And they even started joking. Because sometimes as a new um, as someone who never been to an apostolic church yet, if you come in here and you look and you see the Holy Ghost is up on us inside here and people doing all kind of stuff, you are going to probably believe this is crazy. I I was at a, a church before and I saw um, the Spirit was really moving and a lot of people, you know, were in the Spirit. And this guy that we had gone out and witnessed to, he came with his friend and he came in and he looked and he, and one lady fell near him and he backed off and he was like, you know, is, is this, is, is this you're calling me into? You know, he, he, before, before anything, he got a little scared. We had to, um, you know, just comfort him and in no time he was, he was part of what was happening. He, he, he realized what was happening and he didn't fight against it. Amen. So, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. After this, the ministry grew. And um, they were on a spiritual high. But a lot of times, as soon as we reach on a spiritual high, you know what happens. Something happens. We are on top of the mountain. Something happens to take it down. Right after that, things change. Stephen was, uh, he was one of the deacons. When Peter and the rest of the um, apostles, the disciples, they were going around and they were, they were teaching the people. They were breaking bread, teaching everybody about Jesus Christ. The, the, um, the crowd grew. But in Jerusalem at the time, there were two, um, two sets of Jews, I would say. One, they had come into Jerusalem. They were really uh, Grecians. They, 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 they spoke Greek. And one set no lived there. So, at that time, men, whatever they had, they would just sell it. And the money that they, they got from it, they would give it to the apostles. And whoever had need, they would take care of the needs of the people. They would. So, at that time, the Jews that came in, to Jerusalem, they felt like they weren't being treated properly. They weren't, be, they weren't getting a, an equal share. So they complained. And 
the disciples came together and they said, okay, this is what we are going to do. We are going to find um, seven men full of the Holy Ghost and of good rapport, and we are going to um, pray over them and put them in charge of the distribution while we continue to pray and fast and, and, and take care of God's business. So Stephen was one of them. He was a man filled with the Holy Ghost. And, uh, you know, he, he, he went about just preaching the word of God. And that caused a problem because the Jews, they didn't like it. And because they couldn't, they could not trap him because he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He was filled with wisdom and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. They couldn't, um, whatever he, they came with, he proved Jesus to them. So they, um, they told lies on him and they eventually stoned him to death. Acts 6, 1 to 5 um, tells you about uh, Stephen. And they eventually killed him. He was the first martyr, Christian martyr. He was killed in the name of Jesus Christ, serving, serving Jesus. He was, he was killed. <clears throat> Initially, the Jews preached, or they, they shared the word of God only with Jews. They, they felt like the Gentiles were unclean. So, they didn't, they didn't go to the Gentiles. They felt like salvation was only for the Jews. So um, when that started now, when Stephen was stoned, a persecution started. They started looking for the Christians and they started rounding them up to kill them. So because of that, some of them fled to different places to, of safety. And by doing that, they took the gospel with them. So by doing that, they were spreading the gospel elsewhere, you know, running out of Jerusalem and going other places. Um, they ended up in, some of them ended up in a place called Antioch. And the, 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 uh, the men of Antioch, the people of Antioch, they received the, 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 spirit, the, uh, the word of God. They received the word of God and they, they, they were hungry for the word of God. So when that happened, word went back to Jerusalem. And the Jews there, they weren't so ready to believe. So they sent Barnabas. Go and check it out to see if this is, this is true. Because what that is telling me is that they still had doubts. How is it that the Gentiles are receiving the word of God? This is, this is for us. This is, this is strictly for us, the Jews. So Barnabas went and checked it out. Barnabas actually was one of those um, deacons. And he went and checked it out. And he found out that this is the real thing. Jesus, he wasn't a respecter of person. He didn't just come for the Jews only. He came for the Gentiles as well. So it is time now for the Gentiles to hear the word of God. So when Barnabas heard it, Barnabas, he left and went for Saul. 
and came back with Saul. And both of them started teaching the word of God in, in Antioch. And the Bible says it's in Antioch that they first called them Christians. Acts 11.26, it says, And when he had found him, that is Saul, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled together with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So that's where the Christians were first called um, they were first called Christians. While they were there as well, a prophet called Agubas came from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul was preaching. And he prophesied that in, in Judah, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be um, a famine. And they should look about some relief for them. And they went about, you know, they believed <clears throat> and they took the necessary step. Paul and Barnabas collected and got relief back into Jerusalem. So this is what has happened now. <clears throat> Remember, the Jews in Jerusalem, they, they didn't um, think so highly of the Gentiles. And here we turn around now that they were in problems and they had to get relief from the Gentiles. They had to collect and send food, whatever it is down there, so they could, they could survive the famine. That is how God works. There is, nobody should be looked down on. Everybody is equal in the sight of the Lord. Amen? These people, they received the Holy Spirit and they got sensitive and compassionate. Probably if, if uh, they didn't hear the word of God, they would remember that and say, no, no, we're not sending nothing there. Let them figure it out. They feel that they are superior to us. Let them figure it out. But because they got the Holy Ghost, they became sensitive and they became compassionate. Amen? In Acts 13, men were praying and fasting at Antioch. And they heard the voice of the Holy Ghost instructing them, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. They fasted and prayed. Then they laid hands on these two men. Then they sent them away to do the work they had been called to do. In obedience to the Spirit, the, the spiritual direction, they received from the Holy Spirit Barnabas and Saul were sent out as evangelists from Antioch. We too must hear the call of, of God and do the work he has called us to do. We must become evangelists to our world and continue to follow where he leads us. For a minute, just think about um, if Barnabas did not obey his calling, what would have happened? <clears throat> Barnabas is a motivator. If you can remember, um, Barnabas, he, he was converted before um, Saul. And if you remember when Saul was heading to Damascus to persecute the Christians, and he had an encounter with God, he was blind for a, for a 
few, you know, a couple of days, he got converted. Then right away he turned around and he started preaching. Later on, <clears throat> Barnabas took him to Jerusalem to meet the disciples. They didn't trust him because they knew what he had done to the disciples before, to the, to the Christians. So they didn't trust him. It is Barnabas now who put his reputation on the line and said, this is a good man. He's turned around. You know, he, he vouched for him. Everybody knew Barnabas. Barnabas was a motivator. He did the same thing for John Mark. When he went with them on a journey, and abruptly he just left. And the next time they were attempting to go, Barnabas wanted to take him with, with, with them, but Paul didn't. And Paul insists that he, he, he wouldn't come. But Barnabas insisted that he get another chance. Sometimes we need that, that um, person in our lives that will trust us. You know, when we make a mistake and, and um, everybody is like, oh, you didn't. You know, and they just want to stay far from us. We need that person in our lives that will trust us and give us a second chance. Just like how God gives us second, third, fourth, many chances. Amen. Barnabas was that type of person. Spiritual vision accompanied by prayer gives birth to spiritual direction. God will prepare us in prayer and through the circumstances of our lives to be his witness. We must learn to hear his voice in order to be able to be led by his spirit to those who are hungry for him. Whatever God starts in us, he will complete it. God wants us to be saved and become witnesses for him even more than we can imagine. Sometimes we really want someone to be saved, right? And we, we really we go out of our way and we do a lot of things. Have you ever thought about this? No matter how you want somebody to be saved. Think about how God wants that person to be saved. He came down and died for us. That is how much he wants us to be saved. So it doesn't matter how we think. I mean, we, we can really have a passion and we really want to do it. But just multiply that by, I don't know how much, many times. God wants everybody to save more than how we can even think or imagine. Amen? So whatever work he starts in us, he will complete the process if we continue to be hungry for his word. He has never failed us yet. He has a 100% record with us. Never fail. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who begin a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In order to hear the voice of God, we must be obedient to his word and seek him diligently. We must have a desire to serve him. Samuel, if you can remember also, Samuel, when he was a boy, he was dedicated. His mother dedicated him as soon as 
she weaned him, she took him back to the temple. So he grew up in the temple under Eli. And um, he heard a voice of God, even though, the Bible says, even though the word of God was rare in those days. So if you seek him, if you are obedient, you will hear the voice of God. First Samuel 3, 1 and 4. It, 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 it outlines that. Amen? Within each of us are unique giftings that give us direction for living our lives in his image. Mark Batterson said, said it this way. Be like Christ. Be yourself. That's your double destiny. When we walk in double destiny, the empowerment to be his witness take on a whole new meaning. The direction becomes more specific instead of just magnificent direction of God for our lives. We receive direction from for the day, for the hour, and sometimes even for the moment. It is his voice saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. If we take a look at Isaiah 30, 20, it says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. If we trust in God that way, the voice will lead us to someone that needs to hear the word of God. I remember the pastor said one day, he was driving somewhere in Trenton. And God told him to just go up to this door, knock on the door, and invite this lady to church. And he did. He didn't see her the following week, the following month. He didn't see her the next year. But one day she came in the church here. She, she, she kept whatever he gave her. She had moved to Florida. And she came back up and was visiting but she found him and she came inside here. <laughs> I went to um, ShopRite one night. And I, whatever I was looking for, and I saw this, this um, young lady in ShopRite. And I spoke to her about Jesus. And she told me, oh, she was looking for a church. What type of church this? I said, you're going to have to come and see. Holy Ghost failed but you're going to have to come and see. And she said, sound good. I didn't see her that week. I didn't see her the next week. I didn't see her for a year. She, she started coming. I haven't, I haven't seen her, you know, for a, a couple of weeks. But she, she has been here a lot of times. So, you see, if we, if we do things like that, God will honor his word. It doesn't have to be the next week. Or two weeks later, God is definitely going to honor his work. You just have to do what God tells you to do. Amen? Amen. Direction requires preparation. To receive the spiritual direction that will guide not just the big picture of our lives, but the frame to frame of every day, the elements of self-examination and self-preparation must be present. 
What are the benefits of self-examination when it comes to spiritual matter? In Proverbs 11.30, talked in a discussion of righteousness, we find this jewel. He that winneth soul is wise. Though not directly referring to the saving of lost soul, the truth presented by the writer still speak to us in our pursuit of reaching the lost. Wisdom is what leads us to understanding that we must examine ourselves and prepare ourselves to become his witness. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth soul is wise. Proverbs 11.30 No matter what we do for the Lord, no matter what our role is in church, if we are not involved in soul winning, that's what this is saying. We're not wise. We have to be involved in soul winning. The Bible tells us to go ye. So many times, go ye. We are supposed to be witnesses. We are supposed to go out and share the gospel. If the gospel is so good for us, and we take on the nature of Christ, and Christ loves his people, why aren't we sharing the word of God? Why, aren't we, why don't we have that desire, that zeal to go out and take the gospel to the world? That's what he's calling us to do. We are supposed to be evangelists. We are supposed to be somewhere, somehow, in, in, be involved in soul winning. It, if we can't go out, see those... Uh, Missionaries that go to different um, countries, we might not be able to do that. We might not be able to go out and witness. But there must be some way that we are involved in soul winning. That's what we were called to do. And the pastor said a lot of times, if we were only called to be saved, we would die as soon as we get saved. Because that would be the purpose. But the purpose is not that. The purpose is for us to be saved and then we help bring someone else into the kingdom. And in doing so, we bring them out of the pit of hell. Amen? Daniel 12.3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Here God is telling us that if we honor the Lord and live for him, he will shine brightly for everyone to see. We will shine brightly for everyone to see. If we lead others to a righteous life, we will twinkle like the stars in heaven. This is what the, the word is telling us. Amen? For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Second Peter 1.16 In sharing the gospel message and in sharing our story, we cannot ever rely on cunningly devised fable, but we must be able, in our own perspective, to say like Peter, I was an eyewitness. Paul is writing to the Romans 
noting that we must mind, think, and pray, and pay attention to the things of the spirit rather than the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So, the pastor said already, whatever you, you feed the inner man, that will cause um, him to grow. So, if you feed spiritual food, you'll have spiritual muscles. You, you know, you'll be strong spiritually. But if you put junk food... <laughs> <laughs> you'll have something else not spiritual <laughs> John reminded us in 1 John 2.15 we must love the father not the world or the things of the world it says love not the world neither the things that are in the world but if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him it just means that if it comes down to you cannot serve two masters. It don't mean that you're not supposed to get anything in the world, get your car, your house, and stuff like that. It just means you cannot serve two masters. If you're going to pay um, all of your attention on the things of the world, then you're not going to be able to serve God effectively. So it's best to put your attention on God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Amen? Amen. A worldly mindset results in a life that invites the scrutiny of the world as they seek to validate or disqualify a weakness. Our weakness will stand firm in the face of any outside examination when we have examined ourselves to make sure we are motivated by the love of the Father and by the direction of the Spirit in our lives. Once we are spiritually prepared to be empowered witnesses, God begins to give spiritual direction to us and to those who are seeking Him. Two outstanding examples of the spiritual directions are found in the book of Acts. At the beginning of last week's lesson, we learned about Cornelius and Peter. We, we actually looked at that like a couple of weeks ago. Cornelius prayed and God answered. Cornelius sent men to Peter. And while they were knocking at the door downstairs, Peter was on the roof experiencing a vision that would change to the trajectory of the gospel for eternity. So what was happening here? Cornelius was a man who fasted and prayed he, he, he loved God but there was still something missing while he was praying um, God heard his prayer and told him to send to Joppa for Peter on the other side um, you know in Joppa now Peter it was about midday Peter went up on the roof. He, he was waiting on his food. And he went up on the roof. And he, he started praying. 
and he saw this um, what appears to be a sheet coming down from heaven with all type of animals in it and a voice said to him um, rise kill and eat and Peter you know he was a Jew and they don't eat certain things and I'm sure if it says all animal a couple of pigs probably were inside there and other things that he wouldn't eat so he said three times the, the voice said to him rise and eat and he said no he doesn't he wouldn't eat anything unclean because the Bible told him not to eat anything unclean. But this was just preparing him for the journey that he had, for, for, for the encounter that he, he, he was going to have in a few, in, in, in a short while after because he was called to go to Cornelius into his house. He was a Jew. Cornelius was a Gentile. They didn't mix like that. But God was talking to him now and he was sending him to Cornelius so he could go in there and he could bring um, the word of God to him so Cornelius could receive the Holy Ghost and could be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That tells me something else. No matter how much you get up and you pray and you fast and you call upon the name of the Lord, if you're just doing that on your own, there is something missing. Because the Bible calls Cornelius a devout man. So if that was all that it took, then Cornelius would be, would, would be saved. But Peter had to go there and teach him the word of God. You know, uh, and he had to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then it was complete. Amen? So that, that's something I looked at. That You can't just do it on your own like that. You have to be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ, according to what we see in the Bible with Peter and Cornelius. Um, another example is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch found in Acts 8. Um, the Bible says here in Acts 8.26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, Unto the way that goeth down to Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. The direction from the angel was very specific as to where to go. Philip was obedient, went to the place he was directed, and found a man on a chariot. When Philip caught up with the chariot, he heard a man reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. There in the desert, as they journeyed together, Philip explained the scripture to him and preached unto him Jesus Christ. So, Philip, he was prepared. He was obedient to the Spirit of God. If he wasn't obedient, that eunuch could have gone back to Ethiopia and he would not have heard the word of God and he would not have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But because he was obedient... See, the, the Spirit told him to go towards the desert. That probably was the, not the place he was looking to go. Because you don't just walk through the desert like that. You know, you have to be prepared in, in every way. You have to have a, a, a camel to take you through the desert. You have to have water and all that kind of stuff. So he just, he went. And God took care of the rest. He sent the eunuch. The eunuch was there waiting. And he made both of them meet. And so the eunuch could be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we as Christians, when we pray 
and we and God gives us direction. We have to obey it. We have to obey it. The pastor tells us a lot of time that God will not give you another direction until you obey the first one. So we want to obey the word of God. We want to make sure that we are in prayer and fasting and we obey the word of God. Just like what Philip did, if he didn't obey the word of God, he would not accomplish what God wanted him to do. Amen? When they came to water, Philip baptized him. And it says in Acts 8.39, And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. Just notice, they came up out of the water. He didn't say, Peter sprinkled some water on him or anything like that. He came up out of the water. So they must have done it the right way. Baptized, signifying death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? Spiritual direction will lead us to the exact time and place where the hungry-hearted soul awaits. That hungry-hearted soul, in this case, was the eunuch. He was waiting in his chariot. And Philip got spiritual direction right to him so he could take care of him. If we will stay ready, God will do the rest. How do you stay ready to follow God's leading? Life is filled with what often seem like random encounters. However, there are those unmistakable times when we know God is at work and we are where we are for his purpose. This is a story of a lady called Vesta Mangan. I think they, they are the ones I think um, are in charge of because of the time in Alexandria, the mother, Alexandria, Louisiana, because of the time, one of the biggest um, um, church functions. <laughs> For decades, she's, by the way, she's 90. One year old when this happened. For decades, she has been a compelling witness in her hometown of Alexandria, Louisiana. She daily asked the Lord to lead her to people she can touch and help. She has often told of times when she was driving down a street and felt compelled to stop and knock on the front door of a particular house. On one of these occasions, she rounded the block and could not escape the compelling of the Holy Ghost. She stopped, parked, and walked up to the sidewalk to the front door. She knocked, not knowing what was about to happen. But certain she was in the midst of one of those divine encounters. A woman answered the door and rather hastily asked, Can I help you? Sister Mangan explained to the woman that God had sent her. Though she wasn't exactly sure why, she asked if there was someone there who was sick or in need of prayer. The woman began to weep. She invited Sister Mangan in her house and began to tell her of some horrific life circumstances 
that had burdened her. She told Sister Mangan that she had a gun and had planned her suicide. She was following the steps she had mapped out when a knock on the door interrupted her plan. So this lady was about to commit suicide. She was just going over the, um, the plan she had. But uh, Sister Mangan obeyed the voice and it caused a change in this lady's life. That's what happened when we obey the word of God. Amen? Most encounters are not that dramatic, but they are equally significant to eternity. There are countless stories of ordinary men and women who, in answer to their prayer for guidance and direction, have found themselves precisely in the right place at the right time, and God changed someone's life. So that, that is what happens when we obey. It changed others' life. And that is, that is what we want. Change, lives change for the better. You and I are charged with the task of carrying out the Great Commission. We are commanded to be God's witnesses. With his vision and his direction, we are empowered to affect the lives of people in our respective spheres of influence. God has set each of us in place, in our families, on our jobs, and in our communities so we can influence others and bring the gospel message to them. We, we have to be witnesses, but we, this has to be purposeful. I mean, when I say that, I mean, well, it can be accidental, but if you make up in your mind, and before you even do that, you're going to pray and ask God to lead you to someone who needs to hear the word of God from you today. And you're going to be prepared that um, on your way to work, somewhere at work, there is someone that is going to, um, that prayer that you prayed is going to cause someone to come in your zone that needs to hear the word of God and you will get that opportunity to share the word of God with them. Amen? Why do you think we call it the Great Commission? Jesus Christ testified of who he was to the world. He was in fact the ultimate witness. Have you ever thought about that? He came down to witness, to save. But if we should look at how he witnessed, that would be the perfect witness for us. That would be exactly what we need to do to win the lost to Jesus Christ. A brief look at some of what Jesus said about himself brings us to the realization that the needs of humanity then and now are much the same. In the Gospel of John, we find seven, seven I am statements identifying Jesus Christ. Each of these represents important needs of humanity that seem to transcend time, for we are 
as needful of him today as they were then. The first one, bread of life. He's the bread of life. John 6:35. Light of the world. John 8:12. He's the door. John 10:9. Good shepherd. John 10:11. Resurrection and the life. John 11:25. Way, truth and life. John 14:6. And he's the true vine. John 15.1 uh, Every Christian is called to evangelize which is sharing the gospel. Christ was the perfect evangelist. He developed a good relationship with everyone so they could hear the good news he had for them. He always told the truth boldly but in love. If you notice Jesus, he was caring enough. He was caring enough to go through Samaria. If you remember, um, the Jews didn't deal with the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans were half Jew. And they were pure Jew. <laughs> you know, they didn't deal with them. So if they had to go up north, they would go to a certain point and find a way around Samaria and keep going. But Jesus, he knew that in Samaria there was this woman at the well. And he purposely went through Samaria. And he purposely sent his disciple to go and get some food while he could talk to her. Because that woman, she knew her situation. The reason why she was at the well at that time in the day, she was, she was an outcast. She was, in fact, a prostitute. So she didn't go at the time when the others went to the well. That was in the cool of the day. She didn't go that time because they would mock her. They would look at her. They, would, you know, they wouldn't appreciate her company there. So she had to go in the middle of the day when it was, it was hard to carry that pan of water in the hot sun. Jesus knew all of that. He didn't go there to, you know, like, disrespect her, to say, hey, I know you are a sinner. Or anything like that. He went there to her. And he. He, um, he was caring enough. He struck up a conversation with her. And he eventually got to um, witness to her. He, he wanted her to know that every soul counts. No matter what she did, she was just as important as the man somewhere else who is considered important, wealthy, have everything. Her soul was just as important to him as anybody else. So that's where he met her, that, on, on that level. So she didn't feel uncomfortable. She would relate to him. So when we are going out to witness, we shouldn't approach people in a way that they feel uncomfortable, like, you know, because they're not going to open up to you. They're not going to talk to you if they feel uncomfortable. You should be able to go to them, and they should be able to feel comfortable and not like they are looking up to you and they don't want to say anything. That's what Jesus did here. 
he knew that his disciple probably would say something because they they were Jew and they were keeping you know they, they were keeping to their custom they didn't mix with the Samaritans so he conveniently sent them to buy something so that he could talk to her another time he crossed the social barrier he went inside um sinner's home he ate with the he, he ate with um the tax collector they didn't like the tax collectors because in those days the romans were in charge the romans they were in charge of collecting tax but they sold the right to tax collectors like uh, and those were Jews a lot of times those were Jews so the other Jews looked at them as traitors because they could collect whatever they just had to pay the Romans a certain amount and keep the rest so they were wealthy so they were looked on as traitors nobody wanted to go in to speak with them Jesus went into him and spoke with him so there wasn't any barrier dividing him from Jesus. Jesus is telling you, look, when you go out on the field, don't be partial. Don't witness only to your kind or, you know, the people who look good. Witness to everybody. When you throw your net out in the, in the sea, you take any fish that come in. Those are souls for the kingdom. Amen? An empowered witness of the gospel, as empowered witness of the gospel, we we encounter men and women who are first and foremost in need of salvation. They need Jesus. But in addition to the saving power of Jesus Christ, when they find him and are found by him, they find a bread of life that satisfies the hunger in their souls. They find light in their darkness. They find a place of wholeness and fullness, a place where the good shepherd attends to their wounds and provides them with direction, shelter, food, and comfort. You would be surprised to know how people are hurting out there. When, when we um, encounter the people outside and we talk with them and they you know, they decide to open up. Some things we take for granted. We have our church body and we come and we hear the word of God and it's, it, it strengthens us. You know, no matter how we feel down, it strengthens us. It uplifts us. We know what the word says. Greater is he that is in us and all of that thing. They don't know that. So when they lose a job or um, they're sick or something like that, they don't know who to call upon. They, 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 don't have that, they don't have that support. So they are hurting just for the simplest thing that we, we can make a big difference. We can bring that light into this dark place and just shine it and everywhere just get well lit because we are walking epistles. Amen. Um, 
Is there a situation in your past when you possibly confuse others because your action did not match your word? When we set ourselves to become witness for God, we must understand we are inviting the scrutiny of others as never before. You probably don't think anybody is watching you. But the minute, the minute you step out there, the, uh, the minute you give your life to Christ, you are being watched. Some, they're watching you for good reason. They want to emulate you. Others, they say, I'll just give you two weeks. You know? I'll just give you two weeks. What you are can destroy anyone, anything you say. What you are can also attract people to Jesus without you uttering a word. Commit yourself to obeying the spirit of Jesus living in you so what you do does not overshadow what you say. Once we declare that we are Christians and attempt to witness to others, our life must be right. The enemy will try his very best to destroy us. He will try to expose everything negative about us. God will forgive us, but it will not be so easy for that person that you're trying to witness to, to forgive you. Imagine I'm telling somebody, you know, you, know, you don't want to drink alcohol because it's going to impair your vision and, and you know, your mental state. You, you just want to live a clean life. And then when they pass down the road, they see me with a, with a beer bottle in my hand. You know? <laughs> How am I going to go back to that person and say, you know, okay, <laughs> I don't know what I would tell them at that point. Yeah, so what the enemy wants, he wants to take away our weakness. He wants to put us in a situation where when you get up to witness to somebody, they say, oh, you? <laughs> you know, and just scoff at you and you have no effect on them. That's what the enemy wants to do. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm about to wrap up. <laughs> All right. Let me just give you the story before we, um, we, we end. As a boy growing up in Portland, this is all about evangelism. As a boy growing up in Portland, Oregon in, 19, in the 1930s, Jim Elliott listened carefully as visiting missionaries told about life on faraway mission fields. He would patiently wait by their display table to ask them questions about where they live and what they did as missionaries. Even at a young age, he carried a burden for the lost around the world and dreamed of being a missionary himself. So his, his desire came from very young. In 1952, Jim was about 25 years of age when he and his missionary partner, Peter Fleming, boarded a ship to California that would take them to Quito, Ecuador, South America. His childhood dream of being a missionary was about to become a reality. The two young men spent a year learning Spanish. Then they moved to a small Indian village, 
to replace a retiring missionary. They continued studying the language and the people strive, striving to fit in to be able to share the gospel. There was a group of Indians, Alka, A-U-C-A, Indians located nearby. They had killed many from other local tribes and had killed several oil company workers who drilled site near their territory. So these people, they were not playing. Jim knew in his heart that the only way to stop the killing was to tell them about Jesus Christ. The question was how? Nate Saint was a missionary supply pilot who worked with Jim. They came up with an idea that just might gain them access to the tribe without it being life-threatening. What if they provided supply to them and then gradually over time made headway to becoming friendly? So Nate would fly over the village and lower a bucket filled with supplies to them. The missionaries learn Arca phrases and would use an amplified on the, an amplifier on the plane to speak the language to them. Finally, after several months, the Indians set a, a, sent a gift back in the bucket to the plane. The missionaries felt the time was drawing near for a face-to-face -face encounter. Remember, these people kill a lot of people, you know. It was a painstaking work, and they were realistic enough to know that they were literally endangering their lives for the sake of the gospel. However, these missionaries who were given the, giving their lives to the cause of Christ, they walked in order, ordered steps. The missionaries were flown in one, one by one and dropped off on the beach. So they dropped them off on the beach. They built a tree house near to provide shelter while they awaited the progress of the plan that they had. After four days, a man and two women appeared out of the jungle. Though it was difficult to communicate because of the missionary only knew a few phrases of the language, they shared a meal. Nate took the man up for a brief flight in his plane. They reached out in friendship and felt they were making progress. They asked these three to bring back more people the next time they came. Two days later, two Orca women walked out of the jungle. That day, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, Roger, Roger, and Ed McClure went from the excitement of the missionary field to a martyr's death when a group of Orca warriors, spear raised and ready to throw, also came running out of the jungle. The missionaries had no defense. This may not have been what they signed up for, but they knew it was the real possibility. It was a choice they willingly made. So, sometimes it's going to cost you your life. It was not the end of the story. Since that fateful day on the beach in 1956, many Orcas have heard the witness of other missionaries and become followers of Christ. For a period of time, Jim Elliott's widow, as well as members of Nate Saint's family, lived among the Indians, teaching them about Jesus Christ. So, 
even though they died, their family made it worthwhile. And eventually, they reached the Indians, taught them about Jesus Christ. That's sometimes um, real sacrifice. Amen? Finally, every Christian is called to evangelize. Which is to declare the gospel. Any questions? Any questions tonight? Um, all right, let me pray. Okay, please stand so we can pray in dismissal. Thank you for your attention and... um